When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I'm your host, Josh Dooley, and with me, as always, he is the clear A-Rod to my Jeter, the one, the only, Chuck Holmes. Chuck, we're back. I know you love that intro. Feels like we did our week one wrap-up about 15 minutes ago, Um, but despite that, still good to see your face on the old Skype here. How are we doing this beautiful Tuesday evening? How was the long weekend? And did you labor on Labor Day in honor of Jim Trussell? I did not labor on Labor Day. And to go back to your intro, so what you're saying is I'm the better player. I may have made a few mistakes along the way. Definitely the bigger asshole. But ultimately my i'm going to be tarnished and you're held up in high esteem even though you can't you had the coverage of like a seventh grader is that what you're saying or did i overanalyze that did i overanalyze a little bit i was just saying i'm the captain i'm the one who is in the hall of fame and will stay there um but no just pulling your leg obviously let let me be clear i do not belong in the hall of fame that is not where I should be. You are uh, you are a big fan of the supplements, though. Anyone who knows Chuck, he dabbles in the cream and the clear and then this and then that. But, uh, you know, so Chuck, I mentioned that it feels like we just reacted to Ohio State's lackluster week one victory over Indiana because, uh, you know, well, frankly, we did. It's only been about 60 hours since we last recorded. But in that time... Chuck, have you gone back and revisited this game at all? Is there anything or anyone that you were maybe too high on or too low on? Like, has your perception or opinion of a player, a position group, or coaching changed now that you've had to sit and reflect on that week one game? A couple things that really came to mind, and this is very unlike me, And those of you that have listened uh, would be able to vouch for this. I'm willing to give Kyle McCord an incomplete on that first week. Okay. Uh, I thought he failed going into that or going into the pod after watching it live. I don't think that to be the case now. Now, I think he was done a disservice with the way things were. Now, that being said, he wasn't great. 
by any means, but I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt for another week to see where where it goes. Uh, the other one, and you and I talked a little bit about this, I was a little, uh, I'm, I'm kind of surprised, and maybe he's hurt, but for all we heard about Jihad Carter, the fact that he did not even play a special team snap, let alone a snap on defense, was very surprising when they were so willing to put uh, Malik Hartford in. And then also, I mean, Cam Martinez got a few snaps at the end of the game, and then they were really rotating the cornerback. So it wasn't from a lack of wanting to rotate. Either he's hurt and we don't know, or he literally fell completely out of the rotation in like a three-week span because he was running with the ones at the beginning of camp. Yeah, I'll start with that second one. So I, I think the latter would be a shocker if Jihad Carter is just off the face of the planet and no longer a part of the plans, you and I, and we all sort of know that Ryan Day is not the most forthcoming coach when it comes to injuries and health. So I don't know, maybe he's banged up again. Maybe he had, uh, you know, maybe whatever was bothering him in the spring sort of flared up again. Maybe it was something completely different, unrelated. Who knows? Other than the coaches, because it's not us. You know, I'm, I didn't even really think about it much during the game <clears throat> until, and maybe this makes me a poor fan podcast or whatever, but like I saw number 25 out there and I was like, who's 25? And it took me a second, realized it's Malik Hartford. I know that the coaches have been speaking highly of him in the lead up to to the Indiana game, but yeah. Very surprising John Carter was not in the plans. I hope that that was just something sort of fluky, a one-off, and maybe he can get back into the lineup. As far as Kyle McCord goes, I'm I'm sort of with you. I, I did. I, I forced myself to hand out a grade, and <clears throat> I think after the game, even Sunday morning, I probably would have given him a, a solid C. Now I am willing to give him a C plus, B minus. Look, like you said, it was not a legendary performance by any means, and he did look like an inexperienced starter at times, but I look at it like this. If he reads one block at the goal line and Marvin Harrison Jr. doesn't step out of bounds, the narrative is very different or or significantly different in my opinion. Then you're looking at He's 21 for 33. He's 250 plus with a touchdown. He runs one in. So, uh, and I also, like we talked about on Sunday, I don't think that Ryan Day did him any favors. I went back and watched just a, a large handful of throws. I probably watched a dozen on repeat. And if you go back and watch, he made a few big time throws. You know, the seam to Cade Stover. The similar looking pass to Julian Fleming, the pass that Fleming couldn't corral, like that was on point at least. It wasn't the easiest, most catchable ball in the world. And then the pass to Marv was a dot on the opposite hash. So that's a big time throw. He had plenty of them. He had some ones that he obviously wants back, but I'm sort of with you on the Kyle McCord grade or lack thereof. I also... I want to get your input on this. In hindsight, I think JT Tuimoloau had a very solid game. You and I talked about a total lack of a pass rush, but 
you know, it's tough when they're, they've attempted seven passes or something through three quarters. And then when Indiana's looking to put the ball in the air and maybe air it out a little bit, those guys are tired. They're being rotated. Not that that's an excuse, but Tui Moloa was disruptive in the run game. He was a presence. He drew a holding call, probably opened up some opportunities for his teammates. And it's like I've said before, if people are expecting him to be Von Miller, like they are in for a very rude awakening. He is a well-balanced defensive end. And I thought that he was great, at least against the run on Saturday. It sure feels like, and, and we're going to get into Youngstown State, but it sure feels like we're not going to have a true grade on this pass rush because they're not going to see enough balls getting thrown around the park until Sam Hartman. Well, hey, I mean, boy, Western Kentucky's going to throw it 60 times, yeah. but that's that's quick, that's timing, that's boom, boom, yeah, boom, boom, they're boom. they're going to get it out. You would expect, they're, they're they, what I would like to see then is they're going to have to put him on his butt, right? They may not get to him before the ball gets out, but that quarterback's jersey needs to be very, very dirty by the end of that game. So, yeah, I, I'm okay with that. I... I tell you what, though they they better they better refine and 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 be ready to go because Hartman's going to be a handful for that front seven or front four, I should say. And if they can't get to him, it'll be a long day. Yeah, especially with Joe Alt on the left side, probably an All American helping to protect Hartman. I agree with you there. the The last thing, aspect, position group, whatever that I wanted to bring up is sort of as far as revisiting this game. The offensive line, to me, and Ryan Day alluded to this as well, it seemed like the issues were more execution related and not necessarily an indictment on the offensive line talent. Hold on, hold on. But if you can't execute, doesn't that mean you're not as talented as we thought? Isn't that what that means? Like. Part of it's being able to take from practice to the game what what you've been taught. That's fair. I just, I don't know, when I watched enough plays or I went back and watched a number of plays, it's not like there were a lot of head-on, put-your-ass-on-the-ground sort of plays. Now, they may have ended up that way. And, you know, I looked at Josh Simmons in particular. I watched a lot of his reps. He actually did have some really good reps. And you can tell that he is a strong dude. He is athletic and agile but he also had at least a handful of reps that were borderline embarrassing but I think that this is my novice opinion I think that those occurred when the game sort of sped up on him we've heard that he was a tremendous athlete but he looks like a guy who needs to make some serious adjustments and and get reps at this higher level and so you know, I, I don't want to make excuses for the guy, but I'm not willing to write him off just yet. His reaction time looked slow. It looked like he was processing the game in his head, like faster than his feet wanted to move, if that makes sense. So, and Ryan Day alluded to it as well in his press conference, which we'll talk about. He did not see anything that uh, was unfixable or that could not be addressed to your point, though, how and when are you going to address those when Youngstown State and Western Kentucky are your next couple of opponents? I I don't know. So, and my question for this offensive line is, 
well, I guess this is a an offensive line or defensive line indictment based on practice. Like he was really excited about this offensive line. So they must have been practicing well. Yeah. But they're then practicing against this defensive line. So were they really dominating like JT Tuimoalao and and Jack Sawyer? And if they were, oh smokes, we're we're in for a long viewing season because that, that to me, that tells you neither side is where they need to be. So, yeah, I mean, it feels like the only good reps they get is during practice the next two weeks. So you better hope that they're good, solid, crisp practices and, and these guys are getting after it a little bit. It seems like there were some calm breakdowns, too, like two guys going after the same defender, certain guys looking for a defender to block. So that's what I mean by execution. But yeah, like if it's a little bit of both, then the battle in the trenches is not going to be a great one for us to watch. But, you know, let's discuss Ryan Day's presser. It's Tuesday. That's when he does his weekly presser each and every week, pretty much. And yes, we are obviously going to preview Youngstown State, but I'd be lying to people if I said that they should expect a super deep dive. You know what I mean? So Ryan Day addressed the media today, and I I think that he had some interesting things to say. Chuck, I'm sure you did as well. The thing that stood out to me and the way I took it is that he either lacks confidence in or was not pleased with the play of his quarterback and offensive line. That's my humble opinion so, as a result, I think that we see more Devin Brown this week. And if Kyle McCord and the offensive line don't light it up, I would not be surprised to see some significant changes in week three. Although, I don't know that OSU has a ton of options, at least up front. But, normally, I think that Ryan Day plays it pretty close to the vest. And he's a fairly complimentary guy. I think he's realistic as well. But, you know, it was pretty much... Needs to be better. Wasn't what I expected. Not going to take us to our goals. So I I was sort of glad to hear that. I think it's sort of refreshing from Ryan Day to hear that it's not all sunshine and rainbows. But Chuck, how did you interpret his demeanor and how did you read into some of those general comments on the offensive performance? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that he didn't seem thrilled about it. I, you know, there has been a huge, um, a huge uproar for some things written uh, by some colleagues, and <laughs> I don't think he helped himself in some of those cases because it did seem like they were admitting to a lot of mistakes that were kind of self-inflicted. Like we t- talked about, like the the one that really stuck out to me was how he didn't or he wanted to get Devin Brown more snaps, but then he went three and out and then the game was kind of tight. Well, well, do you trust him or do you don't trust him? Like that just tells me that this is like a, this isn't really a competition. I know he says he wants to get him more. And I think he feels obligated to get Devin Brown more snaps because Kyle McCord hasn't played well enough, but it's painfully obvious. He doesn't trust him at all. Or he would have given him a chance in a close game. And that could very well be the truth. And that's why I'm I'm sort of, again, I'm 
sort of happy to hear his cadence and the way he talked about things because, you know, people have been like, oh, is Ryan Day being truthful, this, that, and the other? Well, I think he was pretty truthful today. I think that he talked about a lack of trust or he's not real sure what to expect yet. And I, I think that's fair. I think based on what we saw, that's pretty reasonable from his perspective. But I also think that it can serve as some sort of a motivator to those guys and those players. Like, look, we didn't meet the standard. We have to step it up. And I know that play calling was a big topic after the game. And for days after the game, that is where I think Ryan Day definitely lacked trust because he did call a conservative game. He said as such, and then he followed it up today. He's like, "Eh, you know, to paraphrase, we got to be better. And I'm not real sure that we're there yet, so I'm going to play it close to the best. And he knows these guys better than we do, better than probably anyone else. That's why I'm always... I'm always going to be willing to give him the benefit of the doubt until he no longer deserves it. So I've got to trust his plan, whatever it is. But yeah, it was not, he didn't have a sunny disposition today. But again, hopefully that's a motivator for a lot of his guys, especially on one side of the ball, to play better. Also, I thought this was funny. Day said that he and or the coaches needed to be more creative in getting Marv the ball, Marvin Harrison Jr., which... I'm going to coin a new phrase, or I'm going to hand out a new award this week, Chuck. That that statement, that answer, whatever, that gets the award for the no-shit Sherlock statement of the week. Like, yeah, we all saw that. But again, I think it goes back to he's not real sure what to expect. And that's somewhat concerning. But I think they're going to figure it out, and I think it starts this week because I don't think that Ryan Day is going to rest on his laurels and be conservative again. I think at some point he knows that he has to let Kyle McCord and company air it out and let loose, and he's going to have to do that. So I'm not incredibly disappointed or you know concerned with what he had to say, but I did think it was funny that he said the obvious that Marvin Harrison Jr. needs to get the ball. Yes, Coach Day. I think we all feel the same way. In the same thing, he also said teams are going to take him away. No, they didn't. They didn't last year. Yeah, they (laughs) didn't. Like They didn't take him away. Georgia didn't take him away. Michigan didn't take him away. You're right. This is college. It's really hard to take players away. It just, it really is. So for them to be that um, blatant in being able to do it with both of them, and if you take one away, you definitely can't take two away. So for that, that to me, that just screams something was wrong. And I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I am uh, Chuck. I got a question for you because it's you're sort of leading me down this path. We're both parents, right? Is do you think that it's maybe one of those situations or one of these situations where you, as the parent, Ryan Day is is the parent, the coach here, feels like he has to wean his child, a.k.a. his starting quarterback, off of something. Like he has to establish in the very beginning that you cannot be over-reliant on your best buddy from high school or your buddy from high school because then you are going to get us in trouble. Do you think that that is remotely possible? 
got if it is that's a miscarriage of his that like that's malpractice it is in your profession and he we should have a serious like discussion about whether he should keep this job like if it if that is true for you to force your quarterback to not throw to arguably the best player in the country when he's struggling the offense is struggling the receiver's not getting his reps the team is in a close game like to me that it it, it cannot be that now Sorry, I don't mean force. Maybe it came across that way. I just meant like maybe they were calling some other stuff where other guys were the primaries just to see if Ryan, for Ryan Day to see if McCord is comfortable throwing the other guys. Maybe, so maybe I, I phrased that poorly. And even with that, this is the first game of the year. It's a Big Ten game. If he went that route instead of let's get him comfortable getting some completions and some confidence. And we'll worry about that against Youngtown state, you know, the FCS team that they're about to play again, malpractice on his part. If that's if something he did. And I, especially three years in, like we go back to this common court's been here for three years. Like he shouldn't need to be weaned. He should be ready to play. Guys are ready to play after like 27 days. In some cases, he's got to be ready to go three years in. If he's not ready to go three off seasons in, then he's not the guy. And that might be the case, man. Like it, it seems like even Ryan Day is trying to figure that out right now. And you know, the idea that I brought up, I, I don't necessarily believe that. I don't think I believe that at all. I'm just like, <clears throat> I'm trying to understand the oddness of that game and, and not getting the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. ad nauseum. Same thing goes for Emeka Ibuka. But again, I'm willing to chalk this one up to as sort of a fluke and a learning experience. You've got to think that, and I'm not trying to be sarcastic or insult his intelligence, but you have to think that if Kyle McCord has a brain in his head, he is going to look the way of number 18. Moving forward, especially a guy that he's had a long-standing relationship with. So I expect that part of things to get worked out, whether the success is a 1 or a 10 or however you want to grade it. I don't know if the connection will be the same as the one that C.J. Stroud and Marvin Harrison Jr. had, but it, it is what it is. Chuck, what else, if anything, stood out to you today from the presser? Did they say or not say anything that caught your attention? Or same goal, same goes for Jim Knowles, although I admittedly was only able to browse most of his comments online. No, everything else was pretty uh, coach-speak-like. I, I don't think anything – I obviously, the whole focus is, is on the offense and, and what went quote-unquote wrong. It is a shame because this defense played really well. I know we, we have some – uh, thoughts on where some improvement could happen, but for them to just go in there and basically stonewall Indiana on the road is impressive. So I, it, it's a shame for those guys. They're not getting the burn and the attention they should. Uh, maybe um, another showing this week might help, but I, my guess is the same thing. They probably won't get any love until they do the same thing against Notre Dame here in a couple weeks. I'm with you. It's a sort of an odd opening slate here to get an inferior Big Ten team on the road and then get the FCF school and then get 
Western Kentucky, who, like we talked about, they're going to throw the ball all over the yard. But yeah, looking back at it, sort of reflecting even more, I, I was very pleased with the defensive performance. And as far as the lack of pressure on the quarterback or anything like that, you know, it, it's tough when they're not willing to throw the ball. They're throwing a triple option at you. Jim Knowles said that they probably practiced that for about five minutes, and that may have been generous, or five plays, whatever he said, and that may have been generous as far as the triple option goes. It's sort of like, Chuck, the NFL is going to start up this weekend. It's like if teams were struggling to sack Marcus Mariota for the Falcons last year. Like, all they did was run the ball, read option stuff. Nobody respected the quarterback. So it's like, oh, okay, whatever. You live with it. You limit the yardage. You limit the points. And you live to fight another day. But, Chuck, did you have anything else before we switch gears and talk Youngstown State? Because I know... I know that people are keyed up for this. They want uh, just a superior breakdown of what should be a banger. Are you ready to move on, or do you have anything else to add? It's such a banger. I think I need to take a break, hose off, get a water, maybe some electrolytes, uh, and after a, a good solid break, I can I can be ready to go. Sounds good. So uh, Chuck and I are going to take a break. We'll come right back and we will break down this Youngstown State game this weekend. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to Hang Out in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast with Chuck Holmes. I am Josh Dooley, and we are putting on our swimsuits and our trunks because we are about to dive into some Youngstown State. As well as this weekend's matchup, I cannot personally guarantee a world-class breakdown, but we will certainly give it the old college try. So, Chuck, first and foremost, let's just establish that this is not the Youngstown State Penguins of yesteryear. A team and a program that won four Division One AA national championships under Jim Tressel in the 90s. Now part of the rebranded FCS. They have not reached said playoffs since 2016. And prior to that, YSU experienced a 10-year gap between postseason appearances. They are now coached by Doug Phillips, formerly by Bo Pelini. I'm sure that was fun. Phillips is in his third season with an overall record of 11-17. and Chuck, I'm not sure I can put lipstick on this pig. Youngstown State is just not in the same stratosphere as Ohio State, but no disrespect whatsoever to them. They are an Ohio team with some history, and this game should, at the very least, be a great experience for several of their players and coaches to play in the shoe in front of 100,000-plus and potentially open some eyes. I don't know how concerned I am, but... What do you know about Youngstown State? What do you remember about Youngstown State other than Jim Tressel, if anything at all? My favorite part of Youngstown State is that their mascots, the Penguins. I feel like that's just a sweet. That's one of the best mascots out there. They just, they just, they're just telling you we don't care. We're we're the Penguins, and there's nothing you can do about it. I do think you know in in doing this deep dive on them, they are on the come up. You know, obviously they yeah. had a couple near the COVID time frame. They they kind of struggled with that. I would be actually 
shocked if they didn't make the playoffs this year. I feel like they are trending in that direction. I know they just barely didn't make it last year. So if they don't make the playoffs this year, I would be really surprised. That first week was an impressive performance for you to uh, Valpo is not a world-class opponent by any means, but anytime. Now, hold on. In, Chuck, for the life of you, did you know that Valparaiso had a football team? I did. Uh, I did not know if they were any good. I had to look that up. I did not think they were, just because I hadn't heard a ton about them. But uh, after doing a deep dive, they are not the worst FCS team out there, but they are also not the best. But anytime you get a 42-point win, and they pretty much just manhandled them, right? I mean, everybody's 8, 9, 10 yards of carry it's going to be a challenge in that they're just going to keep probably running into that line and seeing what they can get, if they can pop a couple of them. And if they can pop a couple, then it's it's going to be interesting way longer than we want it to be interesting. You lie like a damn rug that you knew Valparaiso had a football team. You knew Bryce Drew, and that's no, it. I knew that too. No, I knew, I knew Valpo. I think because of Youngstown State. I think that's the only reason. So how do you feel about Ohio State scheduling an in-state FCS opponent? And keep in mind, like, they have not played an FCS opponent, Ohio State that is, since they hosted Florida A&M in 2013. So this is not a regular occurrence, but, you know, like, do you have any issue with this? Do you like it or dislike it? Where do you stand on just Ohio State of all teams scheduling an FCS opponent? Yeah, I mean, one every 14, 15 years is okay with me. And if you're going to do it, it needs to be an in-state. You, you gotta, you gotta take care of your at home. To me, uh, I, I'm always of the opinion if you're gonna schedule any lower levels, you should be scheduling them close to home. To me, I would be fully on board with any lower level, whether it's Group of Five or FCS, whatever. They only schedule Ohio teams to keep the, because obviously they're paying the teams, right? So let's keep that money into the Ohio universities and, and give them the opportunity to grow their brands versus uh, some of the times that they've played schools that are a thousand miles away and it does absolutely nothing for uh, high school sports around here. I mean, a, a big part of this is, you know, if, if they play Miami of Ohio and they give them a million dollars, well, guess what? Now they can go recruit more Ohio kids, hopefully, and, and put some of those guys in seats. So I'm all for it in small doses like they currently do. For sure. I'm with you on that. You know, it, it seems like Michigan has scheduled three of these games each of the last couple of seasons. Uh, you know, Georgia does it. Alabama does it late, so I don't personally have an issue with Ohio State scheduling a team from a much, much, much lower tier of college football. And yeah, to your point, like it keeps some money in the state. It gives these players on the other team chances that they wouldn't otherwise have. They probably got a lot of family in and around the state, things like that. And it's the trestle bowl, you know? So there's some history to it, direct or indirect, but. Let's take a look at this Youngstown team and some of its players. They certainly love to run the ball, like you said. They racked up 307 yards on the ground last week against Valparaiso, led by Tyshawn King with 11, 111 yards on just 11 carries. Same deal last year when Jaleel McLaughlin led the team with nearly 1,600 yards rushing. Now, he was a beast so much so that he made the Denver Broncos roster as an undrafted free agent. So his success sort of speaks to the Penguins' ability 
to pound the rock. You know that that's what they are going to try to do. At quarterback, Mitch Davidson is the in his in his second season as YSU starter. Not asked to do a ton. He threw for just over 1,600 yards and 12 touchdowns last year, but only one interception, so he takes care of the ball. He can also run a little bit. And then wide receiver Bryce Oliver is far and away the team's most dangerous weapon on the outside. He totaled 820 receiving yards and 10 touchdowns last year. He then began the 2023 season with 5 for 65 in the Penguins opener. Chuck, I don't think I'm giving you any surprises here. Do you just expect this to be a game where Youngstown State runs it, runs it, runs it, runs it, maybe to the extent that Indiana did last week? In a different style, but... Sure, I don't think they get out of their game plan because what's the point? Like, if they're just going... Like, they they know what's up. So they're going to stick to their game plan because they want to see what their guys can do, right? Let's Let's... Let's see if Tyshawn King, when he gets to that 15th, 16th, 17th carry against Ohio State, how's he look? Because if he's running out of gas, then, hey, that's something to look at three, four, five games down the road. Or if, you know, if in that scenario, you know Mitch Davidson's probably a he, – he is the prototypical let's uh, run it and then throw a little play action. If you don't have confidence in him just going five wide, why put him back there? Because if you do and your guys aren't prepared for it, you're going to get his head taken off. So I I would venture they're a smart enough coaching staff that they're just going to stick to their game plan, do what they do, and just do it against a better opponent and see where, where they end up at the end of the day. Yeah, and unfortunately for them, or potentially unfortunately for them, we think that that is Ohio State's strength. It certainly was last year. It may be again this year. They really limited what Indiana was able to do. So it may be strength on strength here, but Youngstown State can really run the ball. They know what they're doing. They they know themselves, right? They know what they're good at, and they're going to continue to do so. And then, I don't know, maybe Mitch Davidson surprises some people, but he's not a prolific passer by any means. I'm not familiar with his high school background or anything like that. But, again, he, he at least takes care of the ball, and he's got a little bit of wiggle to him as well. So he can do some things that we saw against Indiana. On defense, uh, I've got here that OSU should see plenty of an old hooker during this game. Is that – I don't know if that's a – oh, let me – Marcus Hooker. Ohio State should see plenty of old friend Marcus Hooker during this game. That makes more sense. I had gone shorthand there. The former Buckeye and younger brother of Malik Hooker transferred to YSU last year and seems to have found his footing. The Penguins also returned their leading tackler from 2022 in defensive back Jordan Trowers and their leading sack artist defensive end Dylan, I want to say Woodkey. Uh, in, in, a, in addition to that, though, look, I'd be lying if I said that I was familiar with a bunch of these guys. But what I meant to say is in addition to running the ball all over the field, YSU did also rack up five sacks while beating the pants off Valparaiso last year, last week. So maybe they know a couple of things that they're good at, and one of them may potentially be getting to the quarterback with those five sacks. Obviously, the level of competition was a little different than the one that they will encounter in the shoe. But where are you at on this Youngstown State defense? 
I will be fascinated to see this uh, pass rush. And if it is, if they give Ohio State troubles, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Whoa. They shouldn't. But it sure feels like the potential's there. So maybe it's going to be a better test than we, you know, we talked about earlier in the, the pod. I'm I'm good with that. I hope they get pushed, and I hope they they come out of it and say, "Man, those guys were really good, but we kept it in front of them." Uh, completely off topic, but kind of on topic. Uh, it's your boy Marcus Hooker's sixth season in college football. So good for it's him. Our, our favorite type of college player. Uh, the young man will uh, immediately start drawing a pension upon the end of this season. Yeah, a lot of people go to college for six and seven years. They're called doctors. I know that Dr. Hooker. <laughs> Duke had a seventh year guy play starting in their secondary last night, which yeah, that is that is Chuck and I's favorite thing to talk about. I think that we both get it. If you're going to allow these guys to play college football for six, seven years and continue to live the Peter Pan dream. We probably would have done the same thing, but I don't think it's great for the game. I, and I think Chuck agrees with me on that, but yeah, getting back to Youngstown state with their five sacks last week, if they're able to get to Kyle McCord and or Devin Brown, even remotely consistently this week, then all bets are off, and I become very, very concerned. So, selfishly, even though nothing against Youngstown State, I want to see Josh Simmons get nasty and throw some guys out of the club. I want to see Josh Fryer with some pancakes. I want to see Carson Hinsman directing traffic and you know throwing people left and right. I want to see Ohio State's offensive line maul Penguins. And I don't typically say that. I am pro-Penguin. But in this instance, I, I, I want to see him get after these guys. And the same thing goes for Kyle McCord. I want to see him playing with a reckless abandon of sorts, ripping the ball all over the place and being afforded the freedom to do so because you know if Ohio State comes out of this one and it's like 31 to 14 or something like that I'll lose my damn mind I'm telling you that right now if Ohio State has another lackluster performance knowing that they're not gonna well we'll talk about Western Kentucky later you want to talk about a team that on occasion or via fluke can put up some points on you, guess what? That's a possibility next week. So I, I want to see a beatdown, and I do think that Youngstown State is in for a beating. But to your point, they went 7-4 and four last year. They're on the come up. They're playing for pride and a whole lot else. So how are you feeling about this weekend, whether that's point spread-wise, like what are you looking for? Vamp a little bit and tell me why you're looking forward to the game. I'm looking forward to this being a prototypical Ryan Day offensive performance. And if not, I'm going to be with you, right? When you're facing an FCS team, 
you need to go handle business, period. You got to go handle business. You have got to blow the doors off these guys and do it early. I don't want a close game at half. I don't want to have to watch into the fourth quarter to see the outcome determined. This needs to be a 35 to three game at halftime. And you do not your foot off the pedal the entire game. Even if it's Devin Brown in there, you've got to give him the opportunity to go make plays, push the ball down the field and make plays with all these guys. Great. Let the freshmen play. Guess what? The freshmen at receiver need to be better than Youngstown State. So you still got to be able to drive the ball down the field to them. You've got to be able to do it with all 17 or 18 running backs on the roster. You've got to get everybody on the defensive line attacking. Like it, this has just got to be an ass whooping and handle business in 15 minutes. And then the rest of it is just fine tuning for the rest of the season. I wonder how how big the disparity or the point spread could possibly be with the shorter games. I, that's a different topic for a different day. But I also realized after the weekend that I hate the new college football clock rules. <clears throat> that being said. Hey, you know why I don't? You want to, does everybody want to know why I don't? Why? Six and one. Six and one on the unders this weekend, baby. Come get some. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. But, you know, when you bring up Devin Brown, this will be sort of a, a true litmus test, right? Ryan Day has talked about learning from the past and actually getting his backups, uh, specifically the quarterback, some time, some reps, and how this year's battle at quarterback may have been more fierce than it has been in years past, more difficult to, to pick a winner. Well, if Devin Brown doesn't see action until the third quarter and he is, you know, the handcuffs are placed on him, then we really know where Ryan Day stands, and that would be unfortunate, in my opinion. I'm with you. I think that both of these guys need to, even if you want to say ahead of time, like, look, you're each going to get two quarters or something like Like, I'd be fine. <clears throat> and if they throw the ball for four quarters and put up 120 points, like, okay, I'll live with it. I don't think that that's bad sportsmanship because Ohio State has to figure some things out. They have a short window to do so, and the schedule may or may not do them any favors. I get that this is an FCS team, but we need to see some quarterbacks. We need to see some high-level play. We need to see Marvin Harrison Jr. mossing dudes, right? We need to see Emeka Ibuka wide open, out in space, making plays like we know that he can do. And yeah, we need to see these running backs averaging six, seven, eight yards per carry. If we don't, I'm not going to be the most optimistic guy in the world post pod, but Chuck, let's just, let's get to, let's do predictions for this one. We may or may not do this every week, but I think you and I are on the same sort of wavelength here. So give me a score prediction for this weekend. 52 to six. And I am sticking to my 35 to three at halftime. That it's it's not a game. They handle business. I am optimistic. Chuck is back, everybody. 
35 to three at half, 52 to six to end the game. And uh, they're going away. And we are back to feeling like this team could make a run at a playoff spot. What's funny is if people listen to this podcast that when it was Gene Ross and myself, we were always very consistent on our score predictions. Apparently nothing has changed. I'm going to say 56 to seven, which is very close to your prediction. The only reason I say 56 to seven is because I don't want to see any field goals in a game like this. I think it would be cowardly on the part of Youngstown state and completely and completely unnecessary for Ohio state. I mean, hell, we saw him going for fourth and nine Ryan day did last week. So I'm going to go 56 to seven. I hope that we see just about everyone play well. I'd love to see the defense continue, like kind of carry over what they did against Indiana. Seems like it could be a similar game. The run style, not exactly the same, but if they can also contain the run and then get after the quarterback a little bit, that would be great. I just don't know what opportunities they are going to have to do so. So I think that's going to pretty much do it for us this week. Before we sign off, Chuck, did I miss anything? Is there anything about this weekend in general that you might be looking forward to? Maybe Texas, Alabama, like anything else you're going to have your eye on? Yeah, Texas, Alabama obviously is the one because the winner of that game, and I don't think Texas wins it, but I think they have a shot. And if whoever wins that game kind of puts them in the driver's seat for a playoff spot, I know Alabama's got a much tougher road ahead of them. But if they handle business against Texas, that probably tells you that they're a good enough team to handle that business. If Texas wins, like they're they're in a prime position because the Big 12 is not the SEC. So they can they they can set their sights on putting their noses down and, and running the table here in the Big 12. And Old boy Quinn Ewers can be in the playoffs before our very eyes. So that'll be a fun one. Uh, it'll be interesting to see a couple of these teams that were disappointed to see if they actually bounce back. Somebody like our our boy Dabo, see if Clemson can actually handle business this week to see if Brian Kelly can get LSU back. He, and if not, it'll be a damn shame in both of them. Uh, my prediction for LSU to make the playoff uh, probably out the window. Uh, after that one, because I can, just can't see them all of a sudden running the table and being 11 of their next 11. Yeah, I'm taking a quick look here. Not a ton on the slate. I mean, Notre Dame plays a real. Yeah. Yes, they play NC State. Brennan Armstrong's not nobody. I know he's not. He didn't look good last um, week. I, you're right. You're right. No. And, and he's a year and a half of, from being who he was, but he was really good his two seasons ago at, at Virginia. So there is potential there for him to make them sweat a little bit, which is more than uh, their first two opponents. I don't even think they were sweating uh, during warmups. They were such walkovers. Yeah, and then um, the the battle of the social media influencers or – the crypto bros, or I'm not real sure what I want to call Texas A&M in Miami. Just the the leaders in spending, the leaders in building a some sort of facade and tricking people into thinking that they might be good. Texas A&M is going to enter this game ranked 23rd, and Miami is number unranked. So 
they're clearly getting what they're paying for uh, in College Station and Miami. I'll probably check in on that game. And App State at UNC. You'll be watching Nebraska-Colorado. You're going to see what Coach Prime's got week two. Come I'm going to... I might Come hate on. watch it for a couple of minutes, <laughs> but look, when, was let's put... time, when was the last time you rooted for Nebraska? Has it ever happened, or is this going to be the first week? Saturday, September 9th, 2023. Actually, no, I take that back. There were years where I really liked watching Tommy Frazier, but with Colorado, I get it, man. Like Shador Sanders is legit. Travis Hunter arguably one of the best players in college football or potentially one of the best players in college football already. But I'm not going to take anything from this Nebraska game either. Cause I saw Nebraska, I watched Nebraska play Minnesota and it was gross and it was disgusting. And arguably both offenses were worse than our perception of Ohio state week one. So I'm not buying into Jeff Sims and company either, but yeah, I think that's going to really do it for the slate. Again, not a ton to speak of. And so I think that's going to do it for us this week. I think we're going to get out of here, give you guys some of your Wednesday back by the time you hear this. So for Chuck Holmes, I am Josh Dooley. We are signing off. We will be coming back to you sometime on Sunday, likely around noon, hopefully recapping a uh, Ivan Drago. If he dies, he dies. Victory by Ohio by our Ohio State Buckeyes. As always, like, rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. Interact with us on social media and all that good stuff. And as always, until next time, go Bucks.